great to see you all. It's really, really good to see you all. It's really, really good to see you all in the flesh with my own two eyes or four eyes. Yes, that's right. I see you all better than you see me. There's strength in numbers. Good. Well, welcome here. My name's Rob. I'm one of the pastors here and... Um, it really is a joy just to be with, with the team and an honor to be with you. I'm going to be in the book of Philippians a bit today. Do you guys want to pray together again? We should do that. Last time I let you do all the praying, so just so you don't get tuckered out week on week, I'll do the praying this time. But if you want to lift your hearts to the Lord's with me, you can do that. King Jesus, I just thank you so much for being here. I thank you that this is all about you. I thank you for your uh, sovereign and sacred word, which literally stays the same age over age, and that you're just so kind to give us scripture that we can uh, know what you want us to know about you and ourselves and the world. God, how kind and how wise and how good. Father, I thank you that we all have a heart here and a mind, and you want to impact how we think. You want to impact how we feel. You want to impact how we Act so that we can be more like who we were made to be in the image of Jesus. And so, God, I pray you'd give me grace afresh today. And I pray that more important than my performance would be that you would give revelation and illumination by the Holy Spirit so that we would really get what you want us to get from your word. And I ask this thing purely by grace, but knowing that you are the most generous father ever. And this is your desire. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So. I'm in a series called Emotions Remastered. So if this is your first Sunday with us, you're welcome. You don't have to be here for the first two, which we're kind of just like turning on the oven and waiting for it to warm up. We're going to get in the good stuff today. But this is an intentional project that I'm building week upon week. And we started off the first time um, talking about bringing our emotional life under the lordship of jesus and the big idea i was wanting to present is that in our culture um, we are a emotion treasuring valuing emphasizing people your life is not just your emotions you have a body you have a mind you have thoughts you have values you spend your time you spend your money but a big part of your life is what you feel about all of these things And in our culture, the emphasis is almost always on what do you feel? So much so that for us, feelings are truth now. We don't have a shared truth anymore around scripture or a shared worldview, especially as, you know, cultures from all over the world are flying places and and interacting. We've retreated from um, believing there is goodness in a shared worldview, shared ideas of right and wrong and the good and the bad, um, in part probably so that we can try to eject God out of our lives more and more and more. And the substitute for, for a shared truth has become um, our own emotional life is the sovereign truth of our lives. Not for everyone the same, but that's the direction we're going. And so I was making this point and this plea that for Christians, our emotional lives are just as much supposed to and need to be ruled over by Jesus as every other part of our life. 
And Jesus commands our emotions and talks to our emotions and calls us to feel different things. And, and I'm waving my arms for us saying, this is very, very important. To be the people of God in the world, we need to bring our emotions to the Lord and say, uh, these belong to you. And then last week we were talking about, oh man, I've just forgotten what we did last week. Does anybody remember what the message was last week? Oh, right, trials. The message people love to hate to love. And that was on purpose because, and what I was trying to to make the point from Scripture is that the Bible calls us to rejoice in our sufferings and to enjoy our trials and to value our hardships and to, when when we're not getting what we want and things are going not the way we want, to, to lift up our eyes and have a bigger picture than just my feelings about what's happening and to assume because of the goodness of God and his promises in scripture that God is doing me good through these trials. That they're under his rule and they intend my good. And one of the reasons we need to hear that and even embrace that is that if we cannot come to believe that things that might trigger our emotions negatively are good for us, we'll never grow. And we'll never change because we'll always be one bad event away from turning our back on the Lord. Maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way, but all discipleship, all transformation really depends on our ability to follow Jesus wherever he leads, including the uncomfortable stuff. And so today, because I'm a very impatient soul, I thought we would, having built some framework about wanting Jesus to rule over this emotional part of our lives and making room to believe that God can be doing us good even when it looks bad and feels bad, uh, I thought we'd go right to the big one. So the title of the message today is The Big One. What's the big emotion? The most important one. Anger, right. No, I'm just kidding. It's love. So we're going to talk about love today. Before we get to it, though, I just want to remind us of our vision statement here. Uh, we worked on this as a church, and then we forgot about it when, when <clears throat> all the shutdown stuff was happening, but we're reintroducing it. So I'm just going to read it for us. I can actually read it over here. Technology. Thank you. Our vision statement for the church is we live to love and worship. See, it's right there, the, the big one. It's right at the beginning. We live to love and worship God, to multiply passionate and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ, and to proclaim the kingdom by his word and the Holy Spirit. And as I read this, sometimes I wonder, especially in that middle part, that we live to love and worship God, and that words that follow that, if there's a word in there that doesn't necessarily feel super exciting. Don't blurt it out, but can you guess which one I'm thinking about? One of the words in that second section that doesn't feel awesome sauce cherry on top. Yeah, it's the word multiply because that sounds like math. No, it's obedient, right? That's the unfun word in there. Which is the fun word? Passionate. 
Yeah, give me some passionate. Man, I'm dancing again already. Sorry, my daughter threatened to make a video of just me dancing. And, uh, uh, okay, passionate, that's the good one. What's the bad one? Obedient, that's the, that's the bad one. That's the Brussels sprouts. You have to eat your vegetables before you can have your dessert word in there. And one of the whole goals of this time is to get us to realize that actually these are just two sides of the same coin. My conviction is that true Christians can't tell the difference when their passion starts and their obedience ends. And if we think there's a difference between passion and obedience, the root issue is that lack of trust in Christ. If you know Jesus, you want to obey him because everything he tells you to do is the best. If you know Jesus, his words are life. And his command is your life because he cannot ask of you anything but the best for you. Amen. So I'm, I'm working on a lot of things here. I've got a lot of pots in the oven, and some of them boil over every once in a while. But one of the things I want to say, this is, this is my goal in life, is to get to the place, and I think this is true Christianity, where you cannot tell where your excitement for Jesus and your submission to Jesus start and end, because they're so mixed in together. Amen? Vision statements. What are they good for? Suit and tie people. That's it. Bah, let's move on. Let's read some scripture together. Let's talk about love. So we're in the book of Philippians. This is a book written by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. He's in prison and he's encouraging the church because the church sent him some um, money to help provide for him when you're in prison. When you're in prison in the ancient Greco-Roman world, the government did not think that that somehow you ought to be fed by them when you're arrested by them. Does that make sense? We're, we've got things going on a little bit different here, probably because some Christians in England a few hundred years ago thought it was inhumane to starve people who were waiting trial and stuff like that. But in those days, if you were in prison, they didn't really think it was like something you should be benefiting from by getting fed. So you had to depend on other people to show up with your daily bread. And a church had supplied Paul with, uh, uh, they'd taken an offering for him and it had shown up. And this is his thank you letter to them. And it is the word of God to us. And this is what Paul says out of the overflow of his gratitude. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Love really is the big one. Um, I did a little unscientific test on my way to church this morning. I had my car radio dial turned to whatever was playing 80s music yesterday it was just still there and i thought i'm going to turn this on and i bet these songs are going to be about love i've got about eight minutes from my front door to the church or five minutes or something and i i bet there's going to be a song about love and so i turned it on and 
And right off the bat, there was some crooner gal who was doing a song. And it was something, you know, one of our values in culture right now is not that you'd be able to understand what people are saying. Right? Speaking of emotions being more important than truth, they don't even care if you can understand what they're saying as long as there's a sweet beat to it that you want to... Like, that will sell a million records, but actually making sense won't sell anything. So anyhow, some lady was saying, Sometimes it hurts to love, and sometimes... She was just going off like this. I was like, there it is. This is one of these breakup songs. Because we love love, but we don't know how to love. And so you get like three weeks of hot date stuff, and then you find out you can't get along. And then you've got six months of writing breakup songs, right? That's how it works, you know. There was this thing, I don't know if it's like this, but when I was growing up in the 90s, I know that's 100 years ago, last century, but just deal with, just help me out here, okay? I'm trying, young people. I'm trying. I'm trying to love you. Don't you love me? Okay, awkward. That's, that's part of the church culture here. This is how we grow in Christ. I supply the awkward, you get to mature, and then Jesus is pleased. Anyhow, so this is what always happened back in the 90s and early 2000s. There'd be some pop singer who would come out, and their whole album would be about, like, love and attraction and stuff like this. And then because they got famous, their life would fall apart. And then their second album would all be about like bitterness and breakups and how I don't need you anymore. And it's like every single time I'm just like, whatever industry these people are involved in, never let your children into that because it's the same every time. It's just rehab waiting to happen for all of our pop stars. And I don't understand why we don't understand this. But anyhow, so she's crooning on about this. And then the next song that came out was um, Blinded by the Light. Does anybody know if that's about love? Because it's kind of like, Blinded by the light, in the middle of the night. And I don't know what he's doing in the middle of the night, but he probably thinks it has to do with love or else he'd be sleeping or something like this. And they, that one had no sense either. And then the last song when I was pulling into the parking lot here with a big smile on my face was some guy going, if I made a lot of money, would you love me, honey, honey, instead of being someone like me? That's on the radio because they think people want to hear that. But I, so here's this guy who feels unloved by his lady friend and is getting dumped again. And he's like, maybe if I was a millionaire, she wouldn't leave. Because when, because we can't make love work, at least I can buy you things so you won't leave. Right? Anybody? Somebody? Okay. Five minutes. It starts with a breakup song. It ends with a breakup song. This is the big one. We really value the feelings of love. We have no idea often how to actually do it. Amen? So here's Paul, and he's writing by the Holy Spirit. He's writing a letter that God wants his church to read and know and understand until Jesus returns. And he's feeling love. He's feeling love for them. He's in prison there in a different city, but he's feeling love for them. And he has um, the positive feelings of love, okay? The, the delightful feelings of love, what you could call the 
um, Willy Wonka chocolate factory feelings of love. And he writes them and he says, God is my witness that I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I know affection is a, a big word, but that's the part of love where you love something and you delight in it and it's fun and exciting. And he's thinking of them and he's like, I want to be with you because I delight in you. He loves them. That's the Willy Wonka. That's the chocolate waterfall. That's the everlasting gobstopper. That's, that's the fun part of love. love. Can love be fun? Like, what do you love that you love it because it's fun? Anybody here love sports? Any? No, nobody? Thank you. You're my people. I bequeath to you. I knight you in the order of Balfour for your non-love of sports. Anyhow, except for chess. Chess is the ultimate sport. If you say something often enough, it becomes true. This is what I have learned from mass media. It's the fun part of love. It's like the excitement. You get together with your friends and you're going to all play smash up and you, you just you love it. And you're enjoying them and you're telling dad jokes with other dads so they actually laugh. On the outside, at least, even though on the inside they regret it and they hope nobody's filming and all that stuff. And it's there's the fun part. And this is the fun part of love. He yearns for them and he's got his affection for them and he wants to be with them because he enjoys them. And this is all good. And then he says, and I pray that your love may abound more and more. This is God's will for the church, that our love for each other would abound more and more, that it would spread and grow, that it would be like dough with too much yeast in it, that it would get fluffy and sticky and stick to things and have an aroma, which is kind of an acquired taste, but still pretty awesome. And it would just be swelling and expanding. This is his prayer. And then he says, with knowledge and all discernment. Discernment is like figuring out with, with something if it's good or bad, or what's good or bad about it. Discernment's like when you've got a cold or a sniffle and then somebody has to stick a two-meter Q-tip up your nose and let you know in two days if it's COVID or not. They have to discern for you what's actually going on. And for me, one of the reasons I'm looking at this is because, for me, this seems like countercultural for us. That someone would say, I, I'm, I so enjoy you guys. This is great. I feel loved and I love you back. And I pray that you'd love each other so much and that this love would be full of discernment. Wrote nobody in a Valentine's card. You know what I'm talking about? It would be full of this process of weighing what's going on and deciding what's helpful and not helpful and figuring out what pleases God and what doesn't please God and cutting off the parts that aren't good. What? Because love for us is one of these passion words. That's about getting up and jumping and this is all good. And yes, let's do it. And Paul's saying, and I hope it's filled with the obedience word. Where you're weighing. And judging. And doing more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff that can come along with love. Do you see what I'm talking about? And because he wants their love to do something. So that you might approve what's excellent and be blameless and pure when Christ returns. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness, meaning lives that actually show what somebody who is righteous by grace and therefore trusting and obeying God looks like in the world, to the praise and glory of God. Human being, why did God give you the capacity to feel love so that it would result in glory to God? Not just so that we could enjoy the feeling of it. Crazy thought, huh? That sounds like work. Let's just go get some donuts. Love with discernment. Love having this kind of the funnest, strongest feelings under the lordship of Jesus. That's the most powerful thing in the world. And love without it being underneath God's good pleasure can be the most destructive thing in your life. When you're passionate and committed and loyal to something that's not good. Or you're loving in a way that's not good. One example that's kind of painful but a part of everyone's life and a growing issue in our culture is what we would call addictions. Where someone becomes in bondage to something pleasurable in a way that destroys them. It isn't first a chemical issue. It's actually first a love issue. It's when you love something that doesn't give life. It's when you love a material thing that doesn't make you better or sustain you. And you give your mind to it. And you think about it. And you plan how to get it and spend more time with it. And you give your heart to it and you treasure it above people and you treasure it above above relationships and you give your money to it and you treasure it above financial security or being able to pay your bills or being able to have a place to live and you treasure it and you love it and you want it and enjoy it and it's costing you and destroying you and robbing you and turning you into a shell of a person that's that's a love issue and it's part of why people who work with people who have addictions tell me what they need is a community what they need is love because the love cycle that they're trapped in right now is destroying them they need a different love relationship that will actually restore them and when you hear people who work with people who are on their way to ruining their life with a life-taking love say what they need is community what you're hearing them say is they need a whole different world of love they need love with discernment that can see what's actually excellent and will produce purity and blamelessness and a life that's right and that looks good in the sight of God. That's just my humble opinion. But I think it's true. I mean, if love is the big one, in one sense, everything's about love. And when cultures go crazy, it's because of what they love. And what they don't love. And when a person's life explodes, it's because of what they love, because of what they don't love. And so the goodness of God will say to all of us, 
My prayer is that you, you all grow in love that's based on knowledge and is able to discern. Excuse me. So from here, I want to do two things. I want to talk about acknowledging that we need love and fostering a love relationship with the Lord. And I also want to talk about growing in church love in a way that's going to be a real blessing for all of us. So a little bit later in this letter, Paul says this. He says, so is there, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. All right. So love is big for all of us. Love is important for all of us. Love is something we want. Even when we don't want love, it's often because we don't trust love. Um, Treasuring, affection, loyalty, delight, all these things in relationships is what I'm talking about. And so Paul, who's trying to, his prayer is for this church to, to abound in love well. When he's going to give them some more instructions on how to do love, he starts by saying, hey, don't you guys get loved by God? Aren't you encouraged by Christ and who he is and what he's done for you? Aren't you ever comforted by God's love for you and Christ's love for you? Aren't you ever, don't you ever feel love that you actually have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? I think this is kind of Trinitarian. Did we sing about the Trinity? I think we can just say, okay, he talks about Christ and comfort from love. It probably connects to the Father. Isn't named, but maybe thinking that. Participation in the Spirit. So the fullness of God. Aren't you encouraged by the love and the fellowship of God? You experience affection and sympathy. And so as Paul is wanting to build the best for his people and that his people would do the big emotion super well, he wants to get them first to realize all good Christian love is going to start by being completely connected with the love of God. Drawing off of the love of God. Encouraged by the love of God. Feeling the affections of the love of God. Believing in the sympathy of the love of God. Knowing that this is the reality for for us in Christ. When we've come to Jesus, we're convicted that we're sinners. We're convicted that we're separated from him. All of a sudden, we don't think that's the best life anymore. There are lots of people still convinced that being separated from Christ is freedom. And is their best chance at having true love is to not submit to God. 
But when you realize, you've been thinking about it all backwards, and you realize, I want this Jesus. I need this God. I don't want to go through life and eternity without God. I want him. And then you find out that not only does God forgive you, but he chooses you, and he loves you, and he takes you, and he's the total foundation of your relationship forever with him to the point of suffering on the cross to die so that there would be no reason for him ever to kick you out ever again. If you're afraid of that, anybody, anybody ever wonder if your next big blunder is going to be the one where God gets rid of you or proves that he never wanted you? That's what the cross was for. The cross was to kill your sin and finally put an end to any punishment you could receive from the God that would be the rejection kind. Every once in a while, there's still some discipline. That's okay. That's a sign of fatherhood. That's what we need. But you're not going to be rejected because of the cross and you begin to trust this. And then your heart gets warm to the love of God and you, you see the love of Christ coming, that this is the beginning of all things. And it's a completely different life than going through every single day evaluating how loved you're being by the people around you, which is usually how Westerners do life. Go on your Facebook feed. Don't feel loved, don't feel loved. Unfollow, 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 unfollow. Go into the political realm. I think that politician loves me, which they... What? But I don't feel like that politician loves me. Vote for that one. Vote for that. That guy told me he did. He looked right into the camera and said, I am a good person and I will solve all your problems. Because we're hungry for love. And then, do my parents love me? Do my friends love me? Does my church love me? We go through evaluate, 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 evaluate because we're so hungry for love. Anybody? And what God calls us to is to take that need of love and that want of love and that hunger for love and to start off by giving that to Jesus. And Jackie and I have been trying to think of illustrations that will help make a picture of this. Okay, so do you guys need to eat? Anybody here? As the sermon gets longer, you're reminded that your body requires food and your stomach starts kicking you like a nine-month-old child. Give me something to eat. And the acid starts coming out there and saying, you know, if you don't want to get an ulcer, you better put a Twinkie down here. Okay, so we need to eat. We have this desire for things that is a lot like your desire for love. Now, if you go to a store right now in order to get food, what's it kind of like? Well, it's a little bit like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, right? It's a little bit like you don't know what kind of protective gear you need to wear. You don't know if you're not wearing the right gear, if someone's going to elbow you in the face or accuse you of trying to murder them. So it's this stressful relational thing. You're going in there. people, And then you try to all you want is some coleslaw noodles, and there's none. And then you're going, well, I can't get the coleslaw noodles. I'll get spinach. Everybody, you know, Popeye said spinach is good. It tastes terrible. I don't, it's just, it's, Popeye was just propaganda for spinach because they wanted to sell spinach to soldiers after the war something like that it's really messed up you can't trust anybody on television except for me and um (laughs) but like have you noticed like since since late march shopping is kind of like warfare you just want food but people are looking at you weird and it's just it's it's not super peaceful and the thing that makes it not super peaceful is you're totally depending on everybody else to provide you with uh, your food. 
You need to, is, did the farmer do their job to grow it? Did the truckers do their job to get it there? Did the people who worked there do their job to put stuff on the shelf so the stuff at the back isn't still at the back? They get it on the shelf. And that the people that you're shopping with, are they going to treat you okay? You're not going to get rear-ended or run over in the parking lot. And there's a lot of dependence just on your food, which makes it a bit tougher. But if you had a hobby farm right now, and you got a pig, and you got a cow, and you got some chickens, and you got some raspberry bushes, and you got some cherry tomato bushes, which are the best, and you got some carrots, and you got some potatoes. When it's time to eat, you're a bit self-sufficient because it's right there. And what Paul is calling the church to is to remember that as Christians, we actually have a lot more emotional self-sufficiency by relating to Jesus first than we might know. If your love needs are going to Christ first, if you're encouraged by Christ and you're comforted by the love of the Father and you're excited at your participation in the Holy Spirit, you can be a lot more full than if you are just coming looking for other people to fill you up. Another way you can think of it for not the gardener type but for the techie types is this. If your computers are on the internet, you are always vulnerable to getting hacked. Like the CRA, the Canadian something, or Greg, what does CRA stand for? The Revenue Agency. The agency that deals with the money. You know, if there's any Canadian agency which should be locked down tight, it should be the money one. Because it's about money. It's all about money, remember? If I made a lot of money, would you love me, honey, honey? Our culture, we, we talk about love. It's about the bills. Bills for thrills. It's all about the Benjamins. Anybody remember that one? Sorry, late 1990s, Puff Diddy. He was, a, he was a bit of a prophet, that guy. Not a Christian one necessarily, but he knew something. It got hacked. So criminals took data from the government Social insurance numbers, maybe, or your name or whatever. Imagine you get a phone call and the crooks know your name and your address and your SIN number and your last year's tax return. How are you supposed to ever tell if it's the government or not? Why? Because they're connected to the Internet. If you're connected to the Internet, you're always exposed to getting robbed or lied to. So if you really want a secure computer, what do you do? Bloop, you unplug it. Thereby creating one of the greatest action scenes in movie history for Mission Impossible. Anybody remember the knock list? Sorry, I'm old. Tom Cruise on the wires. Remember? Oh, he's sweating. He's going to drop the drop. He's got to get the, get the thing in the computer. The old floppy disk. What's a floppy disk? It's a hard thing. That you put information on it. It's made of hard plastic. It doesn't make any sense. But he had to break in. I've lost you all. If you're not connected to the internet and you want to steal somebody's stuff, you actually have to go to their house to steal it. And this is what Paul's talking about. Disconnecting your need for love from things that aren't dependable. Reconnecting your need for love to the one who's totally dependable. And overflowing in love from there. That's what he's talking about. I'm not saying we don't need each other. But it is a way different life. 
to start your Christian relationships by remembering that you are encouraged in Christ, that you do have comfort from the love of God, that you do have affection and sympathy because of your participation in the Spirit, and from there go on to try to do the love impossible. And this is the love impossible. This is what he calls us to next. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Counting others more significant than ourselves for a Western Canadian is living hell. To be the least important person in the room is hell. That's our hell. That's our flames blames. To be the least significant person in the room is hell for us. Amen? Is it just me to find out? (laughs) We did a poll of everybody. Everybody ranked everybody on who's the most important. We started to inform you, Rob, that you got the absolute lowest score. Can't wait to come back next Sunday. But do you see what Paul's doing there? Do you see what the Holy Spirit's doing there? This letter's about love. Have the same mind. Have the same love of God. Oh my goodness. Have the same love of God. How do I have the same love for people that God has for me? Well, you start by never being the most important person in the room. Try to be the least important person in the room. Why? The creator of the universe and the Lord of glory came down to heaven and nobody noticed. Unless an angel went and told them what had just happened. Because he came as the least important person in the room. And he, guys, we don't even have a story about Jesus. Except for that time he ran, he stayed in the temple. He stayed at church when his mom and dad went home for FOSPA. And it was like a five-day walk, so they really lost him. We don't have any stories about Jesus. Except for the one from like when he was a baby to when he was a grown-up. Because he spent 30 years being the least important person in the room. Guys, the Lord of glory was unknown for like 28 years. Nobody even knew he was there. So that when he launched his love plan of going into full-fledged ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit and doing the miracles, it would coincide perfectly with that third Passover where he would get to be slain for the sin of the world and rise on the third day to give free grace and eternal life to everyone who would simply put their trust in him. But all of his love for us was based on his willingness to be nothing in a place where he should have been treated like everything. I just can't even imagine, like, if Jesus had my heart, just the agonies every single day of going, I could explode in a ball of fiery glory bigger than the sun right now if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. I could do it right now. Mom asked me to go and milk the yak. What do they have in Israel? Sheep, the sheep. Mom said, go, go. I could explode into a fiery ball of glory that blinds everyone and melts the earth right now if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. 
Got picked last for the baseball team again. Even though I could hit a baseball into the sun, right before I turned into the sun and melted all their faces like that scene at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. If I wanted to, like, read the gospel and every single line, remember, Jesus is holding back. Jesus is being insignificant. Even when he stood outside of Lazarus's grave and said, come forth, and Lazarus walked out there and everyone saw it, that was just the smidgen of the glory of God being revealed that Jesus could have been doing. And then for the height of his glory that he needed this secret plan to accomplish, like, it's so weird, it's so weird, it's so awesome. But it's so weird that there was so much misunderstanding and secrecy about the plan to accomplish it. And then when he accomplished it by dying and rising on the third grave, he still kind of kept it quiet. And he went to heaven where he's worshipped right now. And I was reading through the book of Revelations during worship again today. Do you guys know what the most important part of the book of Revelation is? It's not trying to figure out whether or not Russia is Magog. It's the scenes of worship. That's the most important part of Revelation, is the scenes of worship. And when you go to the scenes of worship in heaven, in chapter 5, what do the angels and the elders worship Jesus for? Verse 9 of chapter 5, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scrolls, which is mean to control human history, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and your blood, and with your blood you ransomed people for God. And again they say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we don't always get this, but it, this is insane. Praise him for dying insignificantly. Praise him for his embrace of nothingness. Praise him for being the, the crucified one of all of his disciples. He's the crucified one. Praise him. This is the praise of heaven. They could praise him for his strength. They could praise him for his might. But they say, no, praise you for your sufferings. Praise you for your humility. Praise you for your nothingness. Praise you for that. Praise you because you love sinners enough to become insignificant in their presence and die on a cross for them. Ah. Ah. And for me, this just is such a grating because the thing I love about love is feeling important while it's happening. And Paul's saying the thing that changes everything for Christian love is the willingness to be nothing while it's happening. I think that's worthy of a hokey doodle. Hokey doodle. Okay. This is the big one, Christian. I, I believe that you have so much room to do amazing things in other people's lives as you love them with a willingness to be insignificant in the love. 
or to embrace not enjoyment in the love. And I am convinced that because Jesus loves us and wants us to become just like him, he is going to regularly mix discomfort and discouragement and trial into all of our calls to love so that we can really do the big one well. Because otherwise, aren't we all just going to try to make love about ourselves? Because it feels so good. So, practically, what I want you to do. You're free. I really appreciate freedom, especially in a time when people are telling you how to live so much. You're really free. And at the same time, I want you to value the friendship you can give people at Calvary Chapel as one of your best spiritual gifts. To come together and just be interested in people. To come together and to ask a question and to try to find out something about their lives. To, ask, to come together and start evaluating Sundays by how much love you've given instead of how much love you might have received. Amen? Because I am so convinced that Jesus is going to give every relationship a season of just the only reason you're still there is because of your duty. Every marriage is going to have times where you don't want to be there. And the only reason you're still there is for the sake of Jesus. I'm sorry. It's going to, maybe you're the, the one that, that will never happen to you. Praise God and bless you. Every dating relationship, you're going to have some times where it's like you don't want to be there except to serve Jesus. Every church relationship, there's going to be times where it just, you don't going to, you're not going to want to be there. Just like Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. So that we can do real love. Imagine we all went to church going, I am full of the love of Christ. I don't, I don't, I want to enjoy you, but I don't need you. And so I want to give to you. And I'm not saying it's bad to need people. We'll we'll all have great seasons and the encouragement to be honest about when you're hurt and have needs is right on. And at the same time, you are encouraged in Christ if you'll receive it by faith. You are comforted from God's love as you receive it by faith. You are saint of Christ participating in the Holy Spirit and his affection and sympathy as you receive it by faith. And we can complete the joy of God by having the same mind and the same love, being in one accord and not doing anything from our own personal ambition or vainglory, but in humility counting every other person at church as more significant than ourselves. It's just going to feel so wrong sometimes. But discernment will get us through. As we learn to love, why don't we pray? Worship team, you can come up. King Jesus, I... uh, King Jesus, I hate suffering so much that I have such a hard time looking at you and your suffering.
and to believe that this is the most glorious thing of the glory of God, that you would suffer for us. It's just too much sometimes, and we, all, we, we all honestly and obviously forget it sometimes. Jesus, I pray for everyone hearing my voice and for Calvary Chapel that you would do all the heavy lifting of convincing us of the depth of your love. Father, I pray that where we have roadblocks and mind blocks, relationship blocks, mistrust, hurts from the past, Jesus, would you reveal, even if it's a trial, and remove, for the sake of us fulfilling your desires, every obstacle to the fullness of us appreciating your love. Father, where we we have this vision of masculinity that doesn't think love is so important, I pray you'd reveal to us, Lord, the, the manly nature of the love of God. that true men love God and are loved by God. And I pray, Father, that the enemy would be silenced and that you'd have your way with us in Jesus' name.